Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. During the spring and summer, we're going to be doing a sermon series called Through a Mirror Darkly. The idea behind this series is that we will look at various themes that are universal to the human experience. Each week, we will take a different theme and examine a single or several different stories from the Facebook blog, Humans of New York. I hope you enjoy. Our first reading comes from Proverbs 11, 17 to 21. And I must say that the scripture readings and the sermon fit beautifully into our Mission Factory week. Those who are kind reward themselves, but the cruel do themselves harm. The wicked earn no real gain, but those who sow righteousness get a true reward. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but whoever pursues evil will die. Crooked minds are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. Be assured, the wicked will not go unpunished, but those who are righteous will escape. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. So our second scripture reading today comes from James chapter 2, verses 15 to 18. If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. This is the word of the Lord. So during the summer, if you've been here, you know that we're doing a sermon series called Through a Mirror Darkly. The concept behind this sermon series is that we're looking at themes that are universal to the human experience. And so each week, we begin by looking at a story or stories from the Facebook blog, Humans of New York. And so what you'll see up on the screen in a moment are pictures from these interviews, and then you'll hear the interviews narrated by members of our congregation. And the hope is that as you see these experiences, that you will reflect on the experiences you've had in your life. Generally, they're not going to be the same. They will be different from things that you've been through. But our hope in looking at these is that it will be like looking through a mirror darkly and offer you an opportunity to reflect on how you can better live into God's will for your life. And so, without further ado, let's turn to our story for today. This was the bench we sat on the night Avi had his biopsy. He had been making weird breathing sounds. The pediatrician sent us here because she saw something on his x-ray. Avi was 11 at the time. I didn't want him to feel scared, so I told him it was just a silly little test and we'd be going home soon. I walked with my back against the wall to hide all the signs that said cancer. They took Avi in the back and we waited on this bench for a long time. It was Friday night and the place was empty. It started getting late. It was taking too long. When the doctors finally came back, they looked very scared. The doctor told us, we're having a difficult time keeping his airway open. I was so confused. This was just supposed to be a test. I asked him, what do you mean? He said, Avi could die. He kept repeating it, Avi could die. And then he said, it's time to pray. They finally got Avi breathing through a tube. 
The anesthesiologist cried when she saw him alive again. She said it was the scariest moment of her career. That night we parked our car in a 24-hour garage. We didn't move it for five weeks. We slept head to toe on the bench in his room. I stared at those monitors nonstop. They told us Avi had acute lymphoblastic leukemia. The tumor was too big to remove, so he began 25 months of chemo. Everything went wrong, complication after complication. The worst case scenario happened so many times that we began to expect it. He had over 30 surgeries. They completely removed his esophagus. He couldn't eat for 19 months, and he couldn't talk for seven months, not a whisper. I can't tell you why this happened to my son. He was so healthy. He was at the top of his class. He was a great athlete. I used to watch him play sports and think, I can't believe this is my son. And he was so nice to the other children. Other parents would send us letters and gifts because Avi was so kind. He's just so good. But they all are. You look around this place and you don't see any serial killers. These are all good people. These are not the people screaming at their kids in Target. One day during chemo, when his hair started to fall out, Avi turned to me and said, I think I know why this is happening. I made fun of somebody at school one time. And that just broke my heart. I can't describe what it felt like to watch him suffer. It was torture. I used to lay with him in bed at night and wish so bad that it could be me instead. I'd do anything to switch places with him. One night when he was really hurting, he told me, you can't understand what I'm going through, Dad. And I told him, trust me, Avi, I can. Mark is such a good man. He's the most dedicated father and husband you can imagine. He never spends money on himself. He never thinks of himself. He only cares about what the family needs. He helped start an organization that raises money for widows. He worked so hard on it. He went from synagogue to synagogue asking for money. Yet he still thinks that all of this is his fault. He thinks that I'm pretty much perfect, and Avi is pretty much perfect, so it must be his fault. He couldn't sleep for months after the diagnosis. He would be up for all hours. He spoke to so many rabbis and mental health professionals. He gave away all of his possessions. He always tells me, I know I've done something wrong, or being punished for something I did, and I don't know what it is, but I'm so, so sorry. When I first saw my parents' dad, it always made me a little nervous. Like when I asked my mom how long it would be until I could eat again, and I said, 10 years. And she shook her head and said, not that long. Then I said, five years? And she started crying. I do feel sorry for them. They are the best parents in the world, and it's very hard for them. You know, me not being quite who I used to be. I don't have my full voice back. I haven't done much physical activity in the last two years. They were always very proud of me. I think they're still proud of me now, but for different reasons. A lot of adults tell me that I'm more mature than a lot of 18-year-olds because I know that life isn't just happy times, and now I know how to handle it. I thought about what I would say if I could go back in time and talk to myself before I got cancer. I'd say, get ready to not be who you are right now. 
and get ready to deal with a lot of disappointments and pain, and just keep strong, and never give up, and don't lock yourself in your room if you get sad or angry, because nobody can help you if you're in your room, and the problem will get worse. And stop fighting with your brothers and sisters, because you're really going to need them soon, and they are going to help you so much. And keep watching sports, because they're really going to cheer you up. This is our last day of treatment. All right, so our theme today is sickness. How many people in here have been sick before? Oh, everybody? Okay. Looks like we're all on the same page then. Here's the tough thing about sickness, is that sickness does not discriminate. Like Avi, you can be just living your life, and all of a sudden, something comes on you, like leukemia, and you weren't expecting it, and it just happens. And this is why sickness is so hard, is because the indiscriminate nature, there's no real answer to it. I mean, you can sit there and you can say, well, maybe it's environment, maybe it's genetics, maybe it's just bad luck. And when we get into these situations where we get sick, particularly when we get very, very ill, we will often turn to our doctors and we say, well, why is this happening? But then we equally as much will turn to God and we will say, why is this happening? Because ultimately, I think we want to know, did we do something wrong? Is God punishing us for something that we did to ourselves or to other people? This idea that God punishes us for something that we've done wrong, this is actually in our Bible. It's everywhere in our Bible. It's even in what we read this morning from Proverbs. Let's take a quick look at it. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but whoever pursues evil will die. Be assured, the wicked will not go unpunished, but those who are righteous will escape. So what is the Scripture saying? It's saying, good things happen to good people, and bad things happen to bad people. Totally true? No, no it's not. But it's true in a sense, right? I mean, let's talk about that for a second. If you live your life with honor, dignity, and kindness, is that going to rub off on the people around you? Yes, you're going to be respected in your community for that. And hopefully your life will turn out well. Whereas, if you live your life lying, cheating, stealing, that will catch up with you in certain instances. I mean, at the very least, right, if you're dishonest, people aren't going to trust you. Yeah? At the worst case, you could end up in a situation where you end up getting arrested and going to prison if you break the law. Now here's the rub of all of this. The rub is that in Proverbs, essentially what this scripture is saying is that the reason why bad things happen to bad people is because God is looking at their behavior and is going to punish them for that behavior. Yeah? That's essentially what it's saying, right? That's what it's looking at right there. It's going to punish them for their behavior. Now, this idea that God punishes them for their behavior, what we're looking at in this is that ultimately God is watching everything that you're doing, okay? God's watching you. And when God sees you do something wrong, God's going to punish you right then and there, right? Because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Likewise, God is going to reward you if you do the right things that God asks of you. And so, what we find in this scripture is that the concept of the word blessing, you've, have you used that word blessing before? 
You ever said that word? Do you know what a blessing is? A blessing is, in the scripture, it's a gift that is given to us by God. Now, usually that gift is a reward for obedience. And this is really fundamental to the way the Bible is structured. The, the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, what you see is that if you live out God's commandments, if you do the thing that God asks you to do, you're the beneficiary of God's blessings. But if you do the wrong thing, if you ignore God's commandments, you go the wrong way, well, you're going to be the recipient of God's punishment. And we see this way of thinking in the story that we look at today from Humans of New York. So, Avi gets sick, right? Now, when Avi gets sick, both he and his parents are searching for the reason why this calamity has fallen upon them. Why are they in this situation? Is God angry at us? And you remember Avi's explanation for it? Avi says, I think I know why this is happening to me. I made fun of a kid in my class one time. So this boy, just so we're clear, believes that God is punishing him with leukemia because he made fun of his classmate one time. Now, how does that land with you? Does that sound like the God you know? No, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. The idea that God would give a kid cancer for making fun of another kid doesn't make any sense. Now, that said, I can understand why Avi feels this way. Okay, when I was a kid, I was sick all the time, all the time. It was like one sickness after another, after another. And I remember in my little six, seven-year-old brain thinking to myself, maybe I did do something wrong. Maybe God is coming after me for something I did because it was just one thing after another. And the reason why you feel that when you're a child is because your sense of the future is very limited, right? I mean, you can't really imagine what it's going to be like, and so you think, well... I guess this is just the way it's always going to be from now on. I'm not going to be any different than this. And so with Avi, you know, he's got leukemia. He could actually die from that. So I can understand why he might think God is punishing me for this. But the harder thing for me in this story is that the adults feel this to be true. So Avi's father, Mark, right, what does he say? He says, I know this is happening because of something I did. I don't know what it is that I did, but I'm so, so sorry. Now, this is really hard for me. This is sad to me because this is a guy who went around and raised money for a widow's support group because he believed that they were being overlooked. He goes from synagogue to synagogue to do this. So, does this sound like a bad guy to you? No, right? And his wife... She vouches for him. She doesn't say, you don't throw him under the bus. Yeah, he's a bad guy, you know. No, what does she say? He's a great guy. This is a guy who only thinks about himself, never buys anything for himself. He's always focused on his family and other people. And yet, he still blames himself for what's happening to his son. So much so that he tries to make amends with God by giving away all of his possessions. He's willing to sacrifice everything he has to save his son. Now that's why I love this story. I saw this story a long time ago, a number of years ago, and it's always stuck with me. And I love this story because it's such a beautiful reflection of sacrifice. And it's also one of the saddest reflections of sacrifice too. So it's beautiful because of this. It's beautiful because Mark is a Christ-like figure in this. He would rather take this disease upon himself than to watch his child suffer. But it's sad to me 
because he believes that God would bring harm and pain to his son for something that he did wrong. And that, my friends, is something we need to talk about because that is poisonous theology. That is a poisonous way of thinking about God. And I think most of you in here probably intuitively already know that to be true. But I want to take a step back and I want to talk about where does this idea come from in Judaism and Christianity. Are you with me? Okay, I know it was a little rough. That was pretty heavy, so I know you're like a little down. But we're going to bring it back up, okay? Okay, so follow me on this. So the ancient people who wrote our Bible, particularly the early books of the Bible, those people began the Bible with one single premise in mind. And that premise is that God is responsible for the creation of the universe. Do you believe that to be true? I do. I believe God is responsible for the creation of the universe. Now, from that, they derived all kinds of different concepts about who God is. And one of those concepts, perhaps the most important concept, is that God is in control of everything that happens to human beings. So let me give you a couple examples of that. God's in control of the weather. God's in control of if it rains or not. And if it rains, what does that mean? We have crops we're going to eat. And if it doesn't rain, then what happens? We starve. Okay. God is also in control of fertility. So whether a woman is going to be able to get pregnant and ultimately give birth to a child. God is also in control of illness and disease, determining whether you're going to die young from illness or live long into adulthood. Now, the reason why they believe this to be true is because they were so out of control of their lives. They really didn't have much control over the world they lived in. They didn't have the technology we have today to grow crops. What can we do today? They are actually able to genetically engineer wheat to grow in places where there's no water. They can do that now. That's amazing, right? I mean, it's absolutely amazing that they can do that. So we can get water wherever we need it. They couldn't do that. So yes, they just needed rain. We have fertility specialists who you can go to today who can artificially inseminate an egg and implant it in a woman's womb. You don't have to worry about, is God going to let you happen? You can physically make it occur. And when it comes to illness and disease, we live in a time with the miracle of antibiotics and vaccines. These are things we take for granted, but that's a big reason why our population has exploded on this earth, is because we have those medical advances. We are so much more in control of the world than they ever were. And how long has this been the case? The last 100 years, that's it. Every human being that came before us lived a completely different kind of life than what we have lived. And as a result, we see the world completely differently than they do. As a result of scientific advancement and technological innovation, our perception of the world has changed dramatically. So let's talk about how it's changed. We see the world through the lens of we can control things. How do they see the world? Did they feel like they can control everything? No, they didn't. And in fact, this influenced the way they thought about God. So follow me on this, because this is really important. For them, God was like a chess master, controlling the pieces on a chessboard. And who are the pieces? The pieces are what? Your life, right? God is controlling that, moving them around, manipulating them. Now, if that's your perception of God, 
Think about this for a second. When God is controlling your life at that granular level of detail, then it feels like your own fate is not in your own hands. Because it's not just about when you live and when you die. It's about God controlling everything that happens to you, your successes and your failures. So if you believe God is in control of your life in that way, then what that means is, is that God is doing things to you all the time, and God is reacting to things that you do. So let me give you an example. Let's say something good happens to you. Let's say that you come into some money from a business transaction. Now, if you look at the world through that lens, what does that say to you? Well, it says that I did something good, right? Because the only rational explanation is God is doing it to me. God is reacting to something I've done. So were you a good person if God is giving you all that money? Absolutely, right? You did something good. God is rewarding you. Likewise, if your child gets cancer and is now suffering, if you're looking at the world through that lens, then why does your child have cancer? It's clearly because what? God's reacting to something that you did that was bad or wrong, right? Now, what this tells you is that this way of looking at the world, this idea that God controls everything in our lives, it's based on an ancient way of thinking about the world. And today, there are many people who still subscribe to this, like Mark, who's a great man. I mean, that guy is clearly a good guy, but he subscribes to this because he reads it in the Bible and he thinks it still applies to him. But here's what the last 100 years have proven to us. The last 100 years have proven God may be the creator of the universe, but God does not control our lives as much as the ancients believed. The fact is, the last 100 years have taught us some lessons. And that lesson is that God is not intervening in our world as much as the Bible would have us believe. Now, I do not say this to you to get up here and to be irreverent. I don't get up here and be like, boom, okay, I'm going to blow everything up and sit back down. I'm done. All right, it's very nice. Good to see you guys later, right? No, I'm not doing that. I'm doing this because it is the reflection of the world in which we live. Let me give you an example. We're talking about a Jewish family, are we not? All right, well, if we're talking about the Jewish family, let's talk about the Holocaust, shall we? All right, if you believe that God is in control of your life, if that's something that you subscribe to, and I subscribed to that for a long time, the key thing I kept coming back to was this. If God is in control, if God is there, where was God during the Holocaust? Because here's the issue. If God is in control of everything, God should have done something to stop that. In your Bible, in the book of Exodus, what does it tell us happened? It says that the Israelites, who are, by the way, that's the ancestors of who? The Jewish people. Those people, they were enslaved in Egypt. And what happens? God does what? God comes in and literally saves them, gets them out of Egypt, literally comes in and rescues them from where they were. Now, the Jews are God's people, are they not? Okay, as Christians, we believe that to be true. Our God is the Jewish God. And by the way, Jesus is Jewish. That's how we get to that God is through Jesus, right? So yes, we are Christian, but we are honorary Jews at the same time being Christians. So here's the thing. Don't you think that if God is going to intervene in the world, that the one time that that would definitely happen is when God's people are 
definitely in trouble and they need the help. They need some saving. They need someone to come in and get them out. Is that the one time, don't you think that would happen? And the fact is, that did not happen. What happened is that six million people were massacred, and by the way, another four million on top of that who weren't Jewish, they were either racially impure, they were homosexual, or they were disabled. Ten million people in all. God didn't intervene in that. In fact, that wasn't even the last genocide that occurred in our lifetime. There are genocides going on right now as I speak, and God is not intervening to stop those. Now, I'm not up here to say that God wants these things to happen. Not at all. What I'm trying to say is, if we want those genocides to stop, then who has to stop them? Us. It's on us. And I am so passionate about this because the last 100 years have taught us something very, very important, which is that the most important teaching in the Bible is that we are Jesus' hands and feet in the world. That has been in there for 2,000 years, but the last 100 years have taught us that is the most critical thing. Because we are God's intervention in the world. It's like what we read today from James's letter. So in James's letter, it says you come across somebody who's thirsty, right? You come across this thirsty person. If you sit there and pray, God, I hope that this person, I hope that this person gets a drink of water. Is God going to reach down with a bottle of Avion and give them a sip? No, no. You are the answer to that prayer. You are the answer to that prayer. You are God's intervention in the world. You are God's hands and feet. Without you, it cannot happen. And so what this tells us is that if people are starving, do we pray that God's going to feed them? Well, we can, but ultimately, who's it on? It's on us, right? we got to feed them. If we want people who are homeless to have a home, what does that mean? We have to give them a home. If we want children who have cancer to be healed, we have to find a cure. God did not give Avi cancer. And God is not punishing Avi for something he or his parents did. No, cancer is often, is often just a matter of random chance. The wrong cells mutating at the wrong time. And thank God we've been given the brains by our Creator to come up with a cure. And so my hope and my prayer for you today is that when fate frowns upon you, which it will, it will at some point, you are not going to be in control of everything that happens in your life. When fate frowns upon you, I hope you will not sit there and, and say, well, I guess it's because God hates me and because of God, God is doing something to me. Not at all. That is poisonous theology, my friends. God is not the chess master up in the sky, moving the pieces, controlling your life. God has given us all the control. And my hope is that we will own that gift so that we can spread God's love through our words and through our deeds to those people who need it most. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.